This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We got a special edition of the HTC pod because we are not talking baseball and thankfully we're not talking basketball today. We are talking football uh, because spring football is on the horizon uh, just a few days away as we record this on Friday. The Pirates will start spring practice on Tuesday, March 16th and joining me to discuss some ECU football. He is a former uh, football assistant on staff of Ruff McNeil's back in the day, not too long ago. So he still follows the program closely. He is Bobby Harward. Bobby, I know it's been a while since you've been on the podcast. We haven't had a ton of football to talk about lately, but uh, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. Um, like you said, haven't uh, been able to talk football in a while. Been following uh, the the rough basketball season that uh, came to an end last night. But excited to be. It's an exciting time for Pirate fans with baseball doing so well, um, and then with spring practice getting started. I know I personally have an eye on this weekend baseball series being my sister is a Charlotte alum, so I have to have some bragging rights there. And, uh, you know, my dad is a Duke alum, so I got those bragging rights. And then hopefully my brother is a Wilmington alum. So we have, we're have we all over the place in Carolina, but the baseball team is helping me get some family bragging rights. Yeah, and the basketball team, at least they did beat UNCW this year, so you have, you have that going for you, and Charlotte. So That's true. Yeah, I did already have bragging rights. I didn't. I mean, honestly, I, until this last couple of weeks, I would have said I would have liked our chances against Duke, honestly. <laughs> but after seeing us try to shoot a basketball from uh, behind the three-point line, I'm not too optimistic. Yeah, it was uh, it was a rough Thursday night for the Pirates, and we'll, we'll, we'll have an uh, off-season pot at some point about the roster changes to come, the new guys coming in. But we are talking football today because the Pirates are going to have spring practice next week. So, some exciting news to share, at least from my perspective. I don't know if anybody else really cares about this, but we learned today that the media is going to have access to spring practice. We are going to have uh, the first 30 minutes. We're going to have uh, the ability to go out there and shoot photos and videos. And, yeah, you know, they're usually only doing stretching and special teams work, some light stuff, but – after 2020, not getting a single practice access time or photo or anything, I'm thrilled that we're getting some. Also, it sounds like the interviews will be in person, no Zoom. So socially distanced, safe interviews. So uh, really looking forward to getting back to some normalcy in terms of coverage. And our members, of course, love uh, the coverage uh, of practice. So I'm excited about that. And there's going to be a lot of storylines to follow, Bobby. This is a, a very young football team once again, but also a lot of players returning. So what we're going to do is we're going to go position by position. You know, we've kind of lined up some uh, main storylines to discuss. Our conversation might take us into some different areas as well in terms of each position. Uh, but let's start first with the quarterback. I mean, we all know Holton Aylers is going to be the guy, at least returning as a starter. So uh, the prompt for the quarterback position is, does Mason Garcia, the second-year freshman, establish himself as the clear-cut number two, and does he push Holton Aylers at all? So... I think this is one of the bigger storylines. You're going to have a lot of competition in that quarterback room, but how much growth does uh, Mason Garcia make this spring? That's the the biggest question, I think, even for this coaching staff, um, especially you know some of the information we got in the fall with their hesitancy of running Holton and, and letting him get outside the pocket and do some of those quarterback design runs just as, was because they were you know a little fearful of who was backing him up and who, who was coming in behind him. And hopefully Mason can make that jump so that they feel more confident in that. And then, you know, honestly, hopefully Mason can really push Holton because, you know, Holton hasn't, you know, I love Holton. I think he's a tremendous young man and a, a tremendous football player, but uh, you know, last season wasn't his most successful season and, you know, maybe feeling a little bit of heat under him and, you know, he's a competitor, so it's only going to make him better. Yeah. I mean, I think, with Mason, the biggest thing this spring is 
reading defenses and the offense, you know, can he finally get a firm grasp of the offense? Because, I mean, if you go out there and you see him throw a football in person, it just looks natural. He looks like a true quarterback. But it was clear during the Navy game last year he was not comfortable reading coverages, going through his progressions. So, you know, Bobby, you've been through spring practice and you can kind of see players really get make a jump because you get to focus more on fundamental. The pressure's kind of off. I mean, you're not preparing for a game, so you can really kind of slow it down. How much do you think that helps a young quarterback just in terms of being able to breathe a little bit and kind of take it a slower process? I think that's huge, uh, especially considering the circumstances around last season. Uh, you know, all the, the everything was thrown off because of COVID, obviously, so that took meeting time. That took, uh, you know – practice time away even, especially in the summer. Um, so, you know, this spring ball will really give him the chance to establish confidence. Um, and because right now you said it, he has all the measurables. He has the height. He has the size. He can sling the ball. I remember his first slant he threw. I turned to my wife and said, oh, shit. <laughs> like, it, it looks different coming out of his hand. And you can tell it looks different. He can spin it. And just that confidence – like you said, to go through his reads, to know where he's going with the football, to know what he's looking at uh, from a defensive perspective in terms of the safeties, the linebackers, the pre-snap alignment things, um, that will go a long way. And then once he has that under his belt, then that's when you'll see you know his natural talent come out. But it all starts with confidence between the ears and, and what you're looking at and reading as a quarterback. And, of course, Houghton will be going into his third year under Donnie Kirkpatrick, so I think we'll, we'll be monitoring kind of how consistent he is in practice in terms of continuing to grow inside the offense and with his progressions uh, because I think if he can eliminate those games where he throws multiple picks, that'll be a major step forward for the offense as a whole. And uh, the other quarterbacks that will be competing, Ryan Stubblefield, the uh, second-year freshman as well. Uh, of course, Alex Flynn, a third-year freshman. Man, it's going to trip me up saying all these weird freshman deals but uh and then of course the true freshman early enrollee walter simmons the third so you'll have five scholarship quarterbacks in spring camp brian gag has been moved to tight end which we'll maybe talk about here in a bit uh bobby let's move on to the running backs this was a tough this was the toughest prompt for me to pick out because i don't really know what direction to go here i feel like rajay harris and keaton mitchell kind of proved themselves in a big way last year and then there's not any other scholarship backs on the roster right now behind them so my prompt is how do Rajay Harris and Keaton Mitchell improve? My initial prompt was going to be, do you even let them get tackled this spring? I think you have to let them get tackled, especially being so young. Um, but that was kind of the glaring thing going through the roster last night, looking at it like, you know, I have so many questions about that room in general as a whole, uh, you know, especially if one of them, Go, go down, you know, you're counting on does Joseph McKay make it and is he going to be eligible? Um, and then even if he is eligible and makes it, really you think they have to take a grad transfer, don't you? I think so. Yeah, and then and then you add the whole other dynamic as, of a new position coach, so how does that relationship work? Um, you know, what are some things maybe Coach Foster focuses on that Coach Sims didn't? And, you know, maybe those little areas are what makes Harris and Mitchell take the next jump because each coach has, you know, their everyday drills, their things they're, they're particular about. And maybe Coach Fosters are a little bit different and, and, and pull that out of Harris and Mitchell and they improve in that area. I think the other thing with Mitchell specifically, and probably even both of them, is just going to be, especially as young guys, blitz pickup. Um, can you trust them in the passing game? Because uh, obviously they're threats out of the backfield, especially with Keaton. But – can, can they pick up a blitz? Do they know who their their assignment is, and, and can they make that block to give Holt an extra time? Yeah, th I think that was one of the biggest things I took away from my initial interview with Chris Chris Foster. He mentioned that the first thing Keaton said he needs to work on is the the, the blitz pickup in the past pro. With Rajay, it was ball security. We know how many fumble issues he had last year as a freshman. So also, you mentioned you know you almost have to get them in some contact situations if you really really want to work on blocking, true blocking and blitz pickup and fumbles. I feel like you have to get them through contact. So you have to be smart with it because I mean in reality you you are an injury or two away from being in a pretty bad place quickly in the running back room. So they're going to have to kind of balance that uh, for sure going forward. And I think it's inevitable they got to add at least another scholarship back at some point. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there. I was just going to kind of add to your point in terms of 
you know, one drill that we did with blitz pickup and, and stuff that allowed them to get physical, but not, you know, really dangerous in terms of we'd have a linebacker blitz from depth, depth and then you'd have the running back step up and protect. And we had some rules both ways, like running backs couldn't cut the linebackers knees like they may in a game. And then the linebackers couldn't just straight on bull rush and run straight through the running back. Um, so that required the, the running backs to work on hand placement, moving their feet, those sort of things. And then it allowed the rushers to work on, you know, specific pass rush moves, whether that's a swim or a dip and rip, those sort of things, rather than a straight on bull rush, just running, trying to run through the running back. Wide receiver wise, I feel like we could we could have gone in a lot of different directions with the main storyline here. I mean, the the most obvious one is C.J. Johnson. Does he have a true dominant spring in his first spring practice? I feel like I've written like seventy five articles on that, so we can we can talk about it a little bit, Bobby, because you work with him at Conley. But uh, I want to first focus on, you know, we've heard a lot of good things about Audio Matosho, the UCLA transfer, and Josiah Hatfield the third-year sophomore over the last few years, but we've yet to see them consistently put it together. Each of them kind of have a unique skill set, just size smaller but shifty and fast. Aldi's pretty big, lengthy, and can run. So is this the year they put it all together? I think that's crucial, especially when it comes to replacing Blake Pearl's production. That's <laughs> – this room has a lot of unknowns, um, a lot of unknowns. And, and I think J- – J- I hope I'm pronouncing his first name right – is uh, Jai Hatfield. He was probably one of the most disappointing players to me last year. Uh, I think I expected a lot coming out of him. I knew as a freshman he had some gadget things, but he flashed potential. He had speed. He has all those things you want in the slot, but it just seemed to never carry over. And then you also, now you, you can say, is that because of no spring ball? Did, how did COVID, was he hit with, was he one of those guys? And then the same thing with Audie. You know, there, there were times they tried to get both him and CJ on the field at the same time, but he's another one. He he hasn't gone through spring ball with his staff before because he came in, you know, really late uh, two years ago. And then um, obviously we didn't have spring ball this last year. So this is a chance for him to make a jump. You know, his body should be pretty uh, fully matured at this point. Um, and he seems like a smart, intelligent kid. He played multiple positions last year, just tracking them around the field. So hopefully – uh, they can get with Blake gone. They can focus on one position with him that he can really grasp and understand and, and you know, be effective in. Yeah, I mean, it, the more I talk to people around the program, the more they talk about Audie's work ethic, consistent approach. So it feels like if, you know, usually when you do that stuff off the field or on the field and practice and the, the, the workout habits, the practice habits, usually more times than not, that pays off in the long run. It just seems like we've yet to see it consistently pay off for Audie. I have heard that maybe there was a few times last year he was open on plays and either the play was not designed for him or, uh, you know, the, the quarterback just missed him for whatever reason. So I think there's going to be a big focus this spring on really making sure they maximize those plays. You know, Drew Dudzik, the outside receivers coach, told me he's probably the best receiver they have at getting off press coverage. And we know ECU historically gets a lot of press coverage because of CJ's maybe lack of explosiveness at times. Uh, you know, of course, smaller receivers like Tyler Sneed. So, I think they got to find a way to, to get Audie more involved consistently. You know, Josiah, I I can't figure out what, you know, what exactly to make of Hatfield. Sometimes he looks like an absolute burner. Other times he only gets five, six snaps a game. So maybe there's some injury stuff or there was some COVID stuff last year, but he's one I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, because he, he's a guy who I think, again, I think this is his first spring because he came in as a uh, as a – true freshman during the summer in 2019. So, so many of these guys just haven't even had the chance to really go practice. So I'm looking forward to to seeing those two. And then um, at some point, I think there will be a grad transfer receiver added this summer. So uh, I think it's a big spring for a lot of these receivers to kind of establish themselves. All right, tight end. This is one that I don't really know we can answer, but we, we have to discuss. Uh, lot, lots of interesting things in the tight end room, but most importantly, what is Ryan Jones's status? is my prompt. We know that he's suspended indefinitely. Does he get back at some point this spring? And if he can't get back, Bobby, how important are these misreps that he's uh, unable to participate in? Well, first, you know, you, you, you hope he makes it back. Obviously he made a mistake that I'm sure he um, immediately regretted. Um, You know, obviously 
the news headline doesn't tell the full story as kind of you hit on a little bit in the VIP stuff. Um, and that always tends to be the case. And that's why I'm always hesitant with athletes and stuff. Uh, because especially news stations want to be the first to break it and put out a headline rather than releasing facts. So regardless of the matter, he did make a mistake and he's being punished for it. Um, but you know, one thing I thought I was thinking on last night with him, I think he will come back. I think he will make an impact because a lot of these high, you know, highly recruited guys that we've gotten here, you know, I think of like Alfie Hill and some of those names that, you know, big time guys that fans get excited about and, we sign him, but then they just never make it. And he was one that didn't make it here in the fall, obviously for, you know, the class course credit reasons or whatnot. And, but he's still, you know, stuck with it. Seemed like he was working out and is going to be here and enrolled in the spring. So that to me is a positive sign in and of itself is that he wants to play football. He wants to be here at ECU. Cause so, so often than not here, uh, you know, you see those guys kind of just, drop off by the wayside and, and go on their own way. Who knows? You may see them in a random article and be like, Oh shoot, I forgot we recruited that guy. Um, so, you know, that's kind of that answering that part of the question in terms of reps, this is huge for him. I mean, he hasn't had contact football since his time at Oklahoma. So a, he's missing the contact he's missing, you know, reps in this offense because you know, at Oklahoma, he was a linebacker. He wasn't a tight end. So that's going to be, you know, pretty critical adjusting to that side of the ball and seeing things a little bit differently. Um, and But at the same time, it gives those guys underneath them a chance to step up. It, it gives the staff a chance to see what Jarman can do if he can play or if he can. And then if Calhoun can continue to grow and develop as a young guy. So from my understanding, and, and I don't want to speak for any coaches, but from what I'm hearing, the the hope is that Ryan Jones, as long as he continues to take care of his business and continues on the right track, the hope is that maybe by mid-spring or so, they can have him back uh, practicing. So I, I think that maybe is the hope inside the program. Again, they got to let the, the process play out. Um, you know, the, there were details released about the the uh, the DWI in the paper. I think he, he got pulled for going 70 or 75. I can't remember the, the details, but he blew a .10, which is just over the legal limit. So I could see him... Again, I'm not a lawyer, but I could see him getting it either reduced or dropped somehow and maybe just dealing with the uh, the speeding charge. So we'll see how it plays out, but I do think the hope is that he will be back. I don't see this as a situation from talking with people that he's going to be kicked off the team or won't be allowed back. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. Other tight ends, I mean, we could go on and on with storylines here. Latrell Scott, the new tight ends coach, Brian Gag and Travion Freshwater are now playing tight end. What kind of impact will they make? I mean, Shane Calhoun coming back for his first spring practice. Zach Bird, what happened to him last year? Aaron Jarman coming in uh, later on. And then also the uh, kid from uh, Matoka, Jacob Coleman coming in. So I don't really know what to make of this position, Bobby. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's it's funny. You know, you start your first two positions we talk about where on offense, at least quarterback and running back. And we feel like those are pretty established for the most part with Holton and Harris and Mitchell, but then you get down to receiver, tight end, and O-line, these next three, and it's just, you know, it's a wild card. And like you said, you, you don't know what to make of it. You hope uh, that, you know, your, your ultimate hope is these young guys and guys underneath Ryan Jones can take advantage of these reps here in the spring. And then when Ryan comes back to the, you know, uh, program in the spring, as, as we hope he does, um, you know, that he jumps right in and, and doesn't lose a beat or miss, skip a beat there and, and is able to pick things up pretty quickly. But, yeah, there's just a lot of unknown with that room. Um, yeah, with Bird, you know, and, and Calhoun, and then does this freshman make a run for playing time? So, yeah, just a lot of a lot of unknown. How does Coach Scott fit in to this whole dynamic as well? Because I thought Coach Mines was a great football coach, and he's going to be uh, dearly missed definitely on the recruiting trail. Yeah, it'll be uh, at least they have no shortage of options at the tight end room for one. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, let's move on to the offensive line, Bobby. Uh, my prompt is who emerges as the starting tackles. I feel like the interior is pretty pretty set in terms of you got a lot of bodies there, a lot of options. Last year, Bailey Malavik and Justin Chase and Nashad Strother were kind of your starting tackles. Um, this spring, I don't know the status. I think Nashad Strother is going to be at least limited. I don't think he'll be back at full capacity because he had the knee injury last year. And then you have Noah Henderson, 
who is your projected starting right tackle going into last year. I'm not expecting him to, to participate this spring due to a back injury. So you still have a lot of unknowns at tackle, and I think that's why you're going to see some more guys brought in via the portal. But this spring will be big for developing some guys. It's going to be huge, um, and it's going to be huge for those guys uh, like Bailey and like Stribling, Walt Stribling, to put on weight, uh, to be around this weight program all spring, uh, to not have to go home and find a way to work out to be able to be around an eating table and get fed and those sort of things are going to be huge for those two specifically putting on weight. And then for, you know, Justin Chase to continue to develop uh, and hone in his game. I mean, he's going to be what a six year player. Um, you know, he, he, he stepped up a little bit. I was a little concerned to watch him earlier in the season, but it seems like he, he grew and progressed as a football player. Um, and then hopefully Strother ideally I'd like to see Strother, move inside and play guard. I think that would be his natural position, but obviously he, he's done pretty good at tackle. Um, and then Noah Henderson's the biggest question mark because, you know, I think right now as a staff, you don't count on him. Um, I don't think you can count on him right now um, just based on his injury. Um, but, you know, if he is able to bounce back and participate and play, then he, he brings a different dynamic to that room and that tackle spot and allows you to move somebody inside. ECU has picked up a commitment from Oregon State transfer. I, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Um, but a guy who has three years of eligibility left, expected to play tackle. They're also in the mix for a Texas Tech uh, grad transfer as well, who's played center guard and tackle. So if they can add those two guys, I think it'll help a lot, and we'll continue to monitor what happens with uh, Henderson and you know even Peyton Winsett, some of these other guys going forward into the, the spring. All right, defensively, second year under defensive coordinator Blake Harrell. Uh, Bobby, this will be the first spring for Coach Harrell. Uh, let's start with the defensive line. You know, I talked to Roy Tesh earlier this week. I'm still amazed every time I, I look at the job Coach Tesh did last year. Um, I don't know if there were too many position coaches that had a harder job in the country with basically all true freshmen and guys that had never played before. But we saw Rick De, DeBrew. I have to make sure I get that right. Rick DeBrew uh, emerge really as kind of a difference maker last year in the trenches. He's the first guy that's kind of flashed like true, I don't want to say dominance, but at least getting consistent push on the inside for ECU in a while. And then you had Elijah Morris, the true freshman walk-on who established himself as a starter. So you have those two guys. You got a ton of guys behind them that are young. Who emerges behind those two is kind of my theme going into spring because you need some more consistent depth there. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and I think uh, I, I enjoyed reading your interview with Coach Tash. I read it uh, the other day, and I thought, you know, he had a lot of good points in it. I, I, a, I liked his philosophy of hockey lines. I thought that was really cool. And, and that does make a difference, especially if you have, you know, five or six guys even sometimes seven that you can rely on and trust to put in a game. That's a big deal. And that's a big difference. And, and like you said, last year, I felt like last year was the first time, at least for me, I recognized defensive line play since maybe when Terry Williams was here and you could just recognize those guys wreaking habit and making plays in the backfield, at least stirring things up. Um, but I thought his point was valid and, you know, those guys, those young guys are going to have to take advantage of every rep they have in the spring. They're going to have to take advantage of every drill they go through. And that's what's going to be the difference and what separates them. You know, in, in, in my head, I think everybody right now for me is just kind of bundled up in one spot. And it's really going to take all spring and even into fall camp to see who starts to separate. And maybe somebody does. Maybe it's one of those, you know, weird third-year freshmen or whatever that are able to, to – out in front and take a jump we'll see yeah it's it's weird because i feel like at east carolina historically your better defensive linemen are guys who are like redshirt sophomores or redshirt juniors they can develop but does those guys playing so early does that accelerate the the learning curve and the developmental process like could we see guys emerge as you know not only guys that were playing but difference makers is like sophomores or redshirt sophomores it just seems like usually you have to wait to see those guys emerge out of necessity, but now they have to play because there's no other options. Yeah, I think with that, and this is just kind of my guess with that is, you know, early on when they're forced into action, they, you know, their their bodies aren't fully developed. They're not able, they don't have maybe the strength they'd have 
you know, when they become a redshirt sophomore, redshirt junior, um, or the weight gain that they need. But it does require them to grow up pretty fast. It requires them to learn how to play. Hey, I'm getting a down block here. This is how I need to fight against it. You know, this is how I need to shoot my gap here. Um, and then honing in, and that's what good coaches do is hone in on one or two pass rush moves. Don't let people have four different moves and because you're just not going to get good at one. Um, so I think that's why you see it. If they that jump so later for these guys is because ECU is recruiting you know, these undersized defensive linemen hoping that they can put on weight, whereas Alabama, Clemson are getting these dudes already filled out, essentially. These freaks is what they are. I mean, they're freak athletes. Um, but we're getting guys you just have to put on weight and hope grow and develop. Um, but, yeah, hopefully this spring allows them to do that. Being in the weight room, getting in a training table and getting that food will, will uh, hopefully allow them to at least maintain, if not gain weight. All right, outside linebacker, and we'll, we'll kind of group this together, but outside linebacker slash defensive end, uh, the edge, whatever you want to call it, uh, Tim Douse will be the new position coach along with his special teams duties. And, I mean, you could highlight pretty much any player that plays on the edge, but I highlighted Jeremy Lewis just because of the position change. He's a local kid. He was pretty highly recruited coming out of high school. I thought he was a better defensive end than tight end or wide receiver in high school. So I think him moving back from tight end to defensive end, uh, it's not going to happen overnight, but I think it helps. So that's kind of what I'm looking for at outside linebacker. Um, what what about you, Bobby? Are you looking at Jeremy Lewis's development? Or are there any other guys who catch your eye? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Jeremy Lewis' development and then uh, any grad transfers hit the portal, to be honest with you. Because, <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean – not taking anything against those guys. I think, you know, Terry Stevens and Faison uh, all bring quality depth to the room and they bring, you know, solid backups, but they're not explosive guys off the edge. They're not, you know, your ideal difference maker from that rush linebacker position. And hopefully Jeremy Lewis can grow into that um, and soften that blow a little bit. But I do think this is one of those positions like O-line where you have to get a grad transfer. Um, to come in and, and be able to make an impact. Yeah, I was, I'll was. i tell you what, I was very impressed by Coach Doust. Um, he is just a football coach through and through. Reminds me a lot of Coach Houston with the way he kind of talks and uh, some of his mannerisms and speaking. So I, I think he is a proper fit. I think he's going to help grow these guys up. I do wonder if they move Jason Romero from defensive end to rush outside linebacker. If he can play in space, I think at some point you got to get some more length there. You know, Jeremy Lewis could play that role, but again, he'll be a first year guy uh, trying to make that transition. So I, I'm interested to see how much they kind of interchange, maybe hand in the dirt defensive end versus a stand up guy who plays a little bit more in space. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that was cool too, uh, you mentioned it. Uh, with Coach Houston, when you were kind of discussing the, the hiring process and whatever or whatnot, he wanted Coach Dow specifically. He wanted a guy that was hands-on in terms of pass rushing technique and knew what he was doing within that standpoint. And I think uh, kudos to Coach Houston on and really focusing in, in and narrowing in on what he wants in that position room and then going and getting a guy and targeting a guy and being able to, to, to lock him up onto your staff. Inside linebacker, Blake Harrell is the position coach there along with uh, defensive coordinator, ton of guys coming back. We'll talk about a six-year senior. Can Aaron Ramsour make a jump to being consistent? And I thought Blake Harrell in our interview earlier this offseason put it perfectly. He's kind of like ECU fans in that, man, you look at him make a play and you're like, he's the best one. And then he just kind of disappears. So I think Blake has the same thought process we all do. And he fought a ton of injuries and problems during last season, but uh, is this the year for six-year senior Aaron Ramsour, or is he just kind of what he is at this point? It's hard not to say he is what he is, being a six-year guy. Um, but, you know, we're going to hold out hope for him, and I hope he can put it all together because he's battled injuries. You know, when he came in, he was forced to play. And, you know, he's flying all over the field. He was just, you know, a young guy running around with speed, uh, not a lot of weight, and then he's really focused in. And he looked like a different ball player this year at times playing because of his added weight. He looked like a true linebacker. Uh, I will say, uh, at least to me, this is probably one of those rooms, if he doesn't make that jump that you hope, at least you have good depth uh, behind him with, with the, you know, Xavier Smith and, and Bruce. And, and then I'm interested to see what Simpson does when he comes in too. 
Yeah, he's a he's a talented player. Um, I think his thing will be learning the defense. I mean, all these guys are going to be ahead of him uh, because of they've been in the system now. This is the first year ECU's had the same linebacker coach, uh, I believe, in four or five years. So it's 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 been a long time. So uh, I think wow. Ryan Anderson in sixteen to seventeen was the same linebacker coach, but. I don't think he was the best uh, position coach at that time. So, uh, really haven't had a great one. I guess Blackwell was good. I like Blackwell, but he only got to yeah. do it one year. Uh, John Wiley, Mister John yeah. Wiley, he was the uh, he was intense. He was the, he was that guy, man. He was a awesome football coach. Yeah, I love John Wiley. We visit his family out in Asheville, um, but he he was a heck of a ball coach, and he had a group with him, you know, with Brandon Williams, Zeke Bigger. Jeremy Grove, he he coached some good ones. Um, and then just my last thing with that room, I'm kind of excited. They got some young guys in there that are very intriguing. And Eric Doctor, I'm excited about him. And then I guess, are they moving Taylor Jackson inside? Yeah. Uh, so he was he, recruited as a safety, right? Yeah, he was kind of a Sam safety. But then I think he played so well inside backer, that's where they're going to at least plan to, to keep him for now. I think Blake told me he's added about 10 pounds of muscle, so they're excited about him. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's exciting. You got, I mean, that's what you want a room to look like. You got older guys that you can rely on, be solid football players, and then you got exciting young guys that you can give a chance to develop and learn um, behind those older guys. All right, let's move now to the secondary. We'll start first at cornerback and the, the three headed monster, really, of, of corners uh, Jaquan McMillan, Malik Fleming, Nolan Johnson. Uh, all played a lot last year in terms of all three of these guys graded out per pro football focus as three of the four highest graded defensive players on ECU's team in 2020. The other in that top four was Rick DeBrew. Uh, so really cornerback and the impact Steve, Mellis, Steve Ellis made was huge. But now what does the depth look like behind them? You got a ton of young corners on the roster. Uh, I think we can all expect McMillan, Fleming, and Johnson to play, you know, just as good as last year, if not better. But I think they need to develop a little more board depth. Yeah, I think if you can add at least one, if not two, more guys behind them, um, I will say just see, hearing those names and, and, and thinking of how they played last year, I, I don't know if I've ever felt better about a cornerback room going into a season at ECU. I mean, you know, you always had one guy that you could count on, but there was always that question mark for who's your number two. And right now our question mark is who's number four, which is, a, you know, a much more comforting uh, question to ask. Um, to me, the two guys that stick out are Chalmers, you know, the the transfer we got in, the non-qualifier from Carolina or whatever his situation was. And then Sean Talk Tucker, I thought Sean showed a lot of, good things there throughout the season when he got his opportunity to go in yeah I like both those guys they have good speed length you know with so many high school corners especially ECU it's all about adding some mass I mean you got to be able to add some muscle even McMillan and Fleming still have to bulk up a little bit so Nolan's really your only big corner so I think he compliments McMillan and Fleming well uh but I tell you what Steve Ellis man he is uh he's a go-getter so I think he'll have them ready to go uh, safety position, and again, Trip Weaver. We talked about this prior to coming on the show. He coaches not only the the two safety spots, but the Sam linebacker, which is like a nickel position as well. And uh, Blake Harrell told me a couple weeks ago he kind of sees the Sam as a basically the same position as the uh, you know the boundary safety in terms of a guy who can play the run blitz a little bit, whereas you want your field safety to be a more of a coverage guy. So. My my question with safety is, what impact does DJ Ford make, the transfer from North Carolina? Where does he line up? He played all three positions at UNC. You actually have some talent returning at safety between Warren Saba, Sean Dorso, Juwan Powell. So where does DJ Ford line up, and what impact does he make? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> um, because he is so versatile, he can play all three different spots. Um, you know, he's almost one of those guys, and, and from reading about him, he seems like an, a very intelligent uh, guy as well um, from the standpoint of, you know, you can let some of your younger guys maybe focus in on one or two positions and then let him fill in where that missing spot is, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I liked Wilson at that Sam position. Um, I thought he did great there. I don't think you move him off of that position. 
Um, so, you know, my, my thought was maybe putting DJ Ford at one of those boundary or field safety spots, uh, letting him play off of Powell and seeing, you know, between those two, obviously Dorso brings some good depth there as well. Um, and he made some plays last year. So you can really work those three in those two spots. And then I'm just excited to see what Demetrius Mooney does as well. Yeah. Uh, now switching over to defense. Yeah. Demetrius expected to start at Sam. Uh, per coach Harrell, and also Gerard Stringer expected to be back this spring, uh, at least in a limited capacity coming off a torn Achilles. He was a starter all of 2019. So, uh, And then you've got two Juco safeties coming back in the in the summer in terms of Kingston McKinstry and Julius Wood. So safety and Sam, I mean, I think they were caught uh, a little bit thin last year in terms of depth. I think they wanted to fully address that, and I feel like they have. And uh, really looking forward to seeing where DJ lines up beginning next week uh, for the Pirates. So let's move on finally to special teams to round out these position previews. Uh, I just, I mean, Tim Dow's taking over as special teams coach. We know Tyler Snead's going to be your returner. So to me, Bobby, this is a, a kicking battle situation. I mean, no more Jake Verity. So right now you've got, Owen Daffer, who's a walk-on coming back, and also Patrick Nations, a scholarship kid. And they've got two walk-ons committed that are place kickers. Uh, Laith Marwan and the kid out of Myrtle Beach, I can't think of, I think it's Sully Harden or something like that. So ideally, you could have four kickers competing for one place kicking job. Uh, I think it's great you have that many kickers competing, but at the same time, I think we're really going to feel the effects of losing Jake Verity. I think you know, you get within the 30-yard line, you're almost guaranteed three points with him. Um, and, and even almost to that extent, you could you could argue within the 35. And that's a big deal. That's a difference maker. Um, yeah, obviously we have the scholarship kid. Does he step up and earn his role as a scholarship kicker? Or do one of these guys beat him out? And so – and then also who punts? Uh, you had Larson and um, Young you know, switching a little bit last year. I think Larson picked up more of the role towards the end of the year, um, or at least I, I remember him being out there a couple more times. But, yeah, it's it's going to be a battle, but competition is good, and at least they have, you know, having four guys competing from the outside, not being in the building, you can kind of look at that in two ways. You're like, oh, crap, they really have nobody to compete, and they're just throwing stuff at the wall. Or, hey, these are four guys that we trust, and we feel like one of them at least – two of them can can be solid kickers for us from what i've heard the daffer kid actually outperformed pat nations in practice last year and that's why he was the he was the backup for most of the year until he got hurt or had a, had something come up later in the year so um i'm interested to see him kick this spring i think you know he's a walk-on out of new hanover i believe or somewhere in the wilmington area so i think uh and who does who does the kickoff specialist because that is a job that's pretty overlooked very, very much. So. I'm glad you said that because I was just thinking that. that that slipped my mind because that's a big deal. I mean, that's that starting field position, which can change, you know, 10 to 15 yards at a time. And Rick Smith always had these zones and percentages. He was all about the numbers that, you know, if the offense gets the ball within the 25, this they only should score this amount of times. And, you know, every 10 yards or so is a drastic jump in percentage. So that's a big deal. All right, Bobby. Well, that does it for our position breakdowns and storylines. Anything else off the top of your head that you're really looking forward to seeing this spring or, or, or just following and, and reading about? I'm Hey, I'm just excited that they get spring practice. Uh, I think, hey, you know, it's well-deserved for this staff. that uh, They battled last year going through those circumstances. And to get all their guys in the spring, um, it's going to be a brush, brush, breath of fresh air for them. And also for the kids as well, they're going to want to get back out there and compete. And just going through the roster, one thing I did want to point out and kind of make note of is I've been very impressed with the quality of kids that Coach Houston and their staff have brought in. Even going through the roster, you know, every team has a, a turd or two, but there's very, very few on this roster. And even just when you look at, you know, Walt Simmons coming in and knowing he could get moved, uh, and his position changed, but wanting to come in and compete at quarterback and already getting after being an early enrollee. And then you have Taji Hudson, who, you know, came in as a quarterback and the same thing, just a terrific attitude and wanting to come in and do whatever is best for the team. Like uh, that's the biggest difference for me in these last three to four years is you really 
they've done a great job of bringing in good quality kids. Uh, and I think you're going to see that as this program starts to turn in the uh, uh, more positive direction. For sure. Yeah, I agree 100%. The roster turnover in a couple of years in football, it's been dramatic in terms of the number of guys they've brought in and maybe phased out, but I think it's been necessary. I think it's still not done. Uh, I think they've got to continue to develop, but if you just compare this year's roster to the roster Coach Houston took over, it's night and day. So really looking forward to this offseason of development for ECU. All right, Bobby, well, that does it for our spring practice preview. Are you ready for a challenge? I'm ready. I'm nervous, but I'm ready. (laughs) All right, so uh, if you're unfamiliar, we're going to do 20 questions, ECU Athletics Edition. And here's how it works. Bobby is our second ever contestant. Jonathan Wagner was our first contestant. He got uh, Evan Voliva, an ECU baseball player, uh, years ago. Um, or Really not that long ago, a couple years ago. So what we do is I have a player in mind, and Bobby basically gets 20 yes or no questions to try and narrow it down who it is. If he guesses the player at any time and it's wrong, he loses. But other than that, he can guess uh, or he can ask any yes or no question until he feels comfortable enough to uh, to give an answer. So before we get started, Bobby, what were the exact years, again, you worked for uh, for Coach McNeil's staff? Uh, I was all, what was he, seven, six, oh, nine through, no, excuse me, fall of 2010 through tw- fall of 2015. So that's, what, six years? Okay. Five, six, yeah. Yeah. Five, six ECU years. math, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were too busy grinding away to, to count that's the days, right. so. Uh, so yeah, we'll see if I give you somebody in your era or somebody more random, but, uh, we'll let the 20 questions begin. I will keep track of how many questions you ask. And again, all yes or no questions. Um, so let's do it. You're on the clock. All right. Um, is this a current or former football player? Yes. Um, is this a current player? No. Okay. Was this an offensive player? Yes. So, you know, it was a former offensive player for ECU football at some point. <laughs> did this player play between – did he play for Coach Ruff? Yes. That's four questions. You got 16 to go. Is this player a skill position player? Yes. Defining, I mean, skill position to me is running back, receiver, tight end. Yes. Yep. I have one name I want to guess because I feel like you would throw this oddball out there, but I don't know if I'm. (laughs) Is this player a running back? No, he is not. Is this person a tight end? No. 13 questions to go. You know, basically, at this point, if he's not a running back or a tight end, he's probably... Definitely a receiver that played under rough. Uh, Was this person a transfer? No. So I got I got twelve questions. Yeah, yeah, you got twelve questions, and you you know he played for rough. No, he played for rough. No, he played receiver. Was this person on the? Mm, I'm trying to to ask the better questions that give me more pinpoint the answer right. if that makes sense. Uh, do you know, was this person an inside receiver? He was. He was a slot receiver. That is nine questions, so you got uh, 11 remaining. What did John? I'm already pushing Jonathan, right? He was at 10. Did he take 10 or 9? Uh, I think he was at 9 or 10, but he had a much smaller okay. window. He's only been covering baseball for like two years now. So I gave him kind of a layup. It okay. wasn't super easy, but he had a limited window. Ooh. I'm trying to go back. Obviously, Hardy's like 
a no-brainer. I don't think he would do Hardy. That would be too um, easy, right? Yeah, that would be too easy, but you could also be tricking me because you could be <laughs> like, he... <laughs> was this person kicked out of the program? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this person, Danny Webster? Bang, you got it. Danny Webster, man, uh, when I was going through the 20, I went through the 2013 roster because I was going to pick somebody from the early rough era. And I forgot, like, he was, he was pretty damn good, man. Danny Webster was, was pretty damn good. He was an inside receiver for those who don't remember him out of Havelock and was a highly rated recruit, made an impact, but just couldn't stay out of trouble off the field. I think I looked it up, the, the DWI in uh, the spring of 2014 ended up getting kicked off the, getting him kicked off the team. But he was already suspended from the previous season or so, something. So, yeah, he had uh, he had a lot of issues. Uh, Coach Connor had a special name for him. Um, he had a lot of, uh, at least from the outside, very entertaining run-ins with Coach Ross. Um, so those were. Uh, but I will say, as a player, he was very excited. He was probably one of the funnest to watch um, in the block it up drill. We had a block it up drill. We would work on blocking up screens with the DBs, and it got pretty physical. And, uh, you know, it was fun to watch him, especially as a little freshman. He couldn't have been more than 165 soaking wet, and he was blowing dudes up. So he was uh, explosive. You wish it worked out. Didn't he even try to transfer and go somewhere, and it didn't work out or something? So I read today – I guess going into the spring of 2015, there was a story out of the New Bern Sun Journal that said he was trying to walk back onto the ECU football team a year after getting kicked off, and he was like, "I'm gonna do whatever it takes." And then I, I don't, I don't know if he didn't transfer anywhere or tried to transfer; it just didn't work out. But he, it said in the article, he stayed at school at ECU and was still taking classes. So, okay, he wanted to keep playing, but I mean, at that point, he had already used his three strikes. I mean, Ruff had a pretty, <laughs> he had a pretty lenient policy, I think, at times. Uh, yeah. And Danny, for whatever reason, just could not keep his head yeah, on straight. It's, it's unfortunate because he, like you said, he was really good. He was a local kid. He turned down ACC schools to, to come to East Carolina, um, and I thought he was going to be kind of a a game breaker for years. It just never materialized. Yeah, yeah, I did too. I, I, I you know, I feel like he went. The two rumors I thought I heard were he was going to go to Oklahoma and try to walk on out there once Lincoln went. And then the other was when he was in school, he went back to law school or something. So I'd be curious if, if that's what he went back for or not. But, yeah, I, I thought him – I thought the other two you may throw at me were Quate Smire. <laughs> I thought about him. <laughs> I did think about and, Quate. And uh, Marquez Grayson were the other two. I thought you were going to get some, like, randos that, you know, were exciting guys that didn't work out here. Yeah, I, I had a very high hopes for Marquez Grayson, and every time I asked Kurt Dahl about him, he was just like, he kind of shut me down. I could tell it wasn't going well behind the scenes. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah. no, I mean, it. Yeah. I, I was also thinking of uh, Jaton Beavers because I sent you a video link a while back of uh, <laughs> you right. uh, coaching him up in the practice. Yeah, I love Jaton. Jaton was uh, – that outside linebacker room, working with that room was – a lot of fun, a lot of different personalities between, you know, Jaton, Montes Overton, Jake Geary, um, you know, Maurice Falls was a character. And uh, even Darrell Johnson was like just the quiet, mature guy that just kind of like let everybody joke and crack up. And then Darrell went out and dominated on the field. So, yeah, that was a fun, uh, that was a fun room. ECU could use a few of those guys right now on the edge. So, yeah. Uh, but Bobby, you did it, man. Ten questions, honestly, pretty impressive considering the answer was Danny Webster. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. I, I should be proud. I, I appreciate. It. I didn't know either if you would go back for like a blast of the past and you know hit me with like a Kerry Cadet who played in the seventies right. or something like that. So uh, it was hey, fun though. I enjoyed it. Yeah, this is the first of many. So who knows what direction we'll go in next time. And uh, I still got to get Clip Brock up here to do it because he does the, he does twenty questions at trivia, and he always stumps us. So I'm gonna stump him one day with a really good, uh, just not just completely obscure football player. There you go, and maybe you can get him more even just with some uh, athletic uh, American Conference basketball trivia since he's oh, yeah. now an ACC homer. He um, is. He is. 
It's a big Miami uh, I listened guy. to y'all's spiel yesterday, and I had American – I was proud of you because I had American Championship basketball on all day yesterday, and, and none of that ACC nonsense. I'm kind of mad at myself. I don't have it on right now. I should be watching Wichita in South Florida, but oh, well. I'll check it out once we get off the podcast. But, Bobby, I appreciate it, man. It was fun to uh, to do a little spring preview with you, and uh, congrats on the 20 questions victory. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed being able to talk football again. I'm glad it's that time of the year, and I'm excited for you just to go out there and kind of have some normalcy uh, with this spring practice in terms of, you know, some practice – footage and some interviews and stuff like that i'm sure that would be good and you know i haven't been able i wanted to say on the air congratulations to you and the missus on uh the little i go that's expected so exciting stuff for you guys as well i appreciate that man i still need to get some more uh fatherly advice from yourself but uh we'll figure it out as we go along it's going to be a challenge during the first football season uh but we'll figure it out so uh, i'm we're, we're thrilled counting down the days july 26 is the due date so uh can't get here soon enough. It's awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited for you guys. All right. That is Bobby. I am Steven. Uh, we will be back with the Hoist of Colors podcast after this weekend's series against the Charlotte 49ers. Until then, you guys have a good weekend. official challenge podcast is back for another season and so are we i'm tori deal and i'm anisa ferreira the wait is over guys all stars four is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts